would turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 41. That is our text this Lord's Day as we continue to walk through the book of Genesis. If you're a guest with us this morning or if you haven't been with us in a while, uh, we've been walking through Genesis uh, since last January in an attempt to better understand the Word of God by walking through it uh, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And so today we find ourselves in Genesis 41. Uh, we're in the, 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 the life, really, that the legacy of Jacob and principally his son Joseph. And as we've been studying now Joseph's life, we've seen how there's times when it, it seems like all hope is lost for Joseph. He, he goes out on a routine Aaron for his father to check on his brothers and that leads to him being put into a pit and sold into slavery and then even in his captivity he he, he rises to a position in the home of Potiphar one of trust one of power and yet he finds him back back in the pit of prison when Potiphar's wife lies about him and falsely accuses him his story is one where as we talked last week where there's times when we come to verses like chapter 40, verse 23, where the chief cupbearer, whose dream he had rightly interpreted, forgets about him. His story is one that, that, that makes us see there's times when we may feel forgotten in the world. The world may forget us and we just feel like we're just suffering and nobody cares. And yet, we trust in a God, we serve a God who very much cares, who very much ordains, who very much is sovereign and whose hand is on us, and he has a plan. And what we're going to see today as we continue in this book in Genesis 41 is that plan become to fruition for Joseph. All that suffering, all that pain, we're going to see how in God's perfect timing, he's going to use that for his glory and for the kingdom to grow. And I hope you'll see that. As we look at this, I hope you'll see what I hope you see each Lord's Day, the gospel of our Lord Jesus God's grace for you and I, His mercy in our lives. This is the holy word of God. And so if you're able to, we invite you to stand as I read it for us. Genesis 41, verses 1 through 36. This is what it says to us today. And after two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, that fed in the reed grass. And behold... Seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears, and Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men, and Pharaoh told them his dreams. But there was none who can interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us. 
giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. The Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, then quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. And I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I'd never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one could tell, uh, be known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as they had been in the beginning. Then I awoke, and I saw in my dream seven ears growing one stalk, full and good. Seven ears withered thin and blighted by the east wind sprouted up after them, and the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to all the musicians, musicians, magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years. The seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them there will rise seven years of famine. And all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land And the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that the thing is fixed by God and God will certainly bring it about. Therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man, set him over the land of Egypt, and let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food in these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. If you would, pray with me. Father God, we ask in Jesus' name that you would help us to understand this passage, that you would help us to see the gospel in this passage. Lord, that you would help us to live lives surrendered to Jesus. We pray for this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. In all of these passages that we've read recently in Genesis, the The theme of dreams has been quite prevalent. The dreams of Joseph about how ultimately the interpretation would show that that, that he would rule over his family. Uh, The dreams of the cupbearer and the chief baker that would indicate their fates. And now the Pharaoh's dreams. Very picturesque. Very interesting, somewhat disturbing, and to Pharaoh and to us, apart from the interpretation from Joseph, quite confusing. 
And the question that can come as you read through passages like this is, so, so is this how God speaks? Does, does He speak to us today through dreams? He, he certainly did in Genesis. Well, what are we to do with dreams today? And there were some who would say, oh yes, absolutely, God speaks to us in our dreams. There are some who would gladly take your money to explain to you what your dreams mean, who would come up with all kinds of fascinating ideas about what your dreams might mean. If you're like me, you have times when you don't even remember dreams, then you have other times when you have rather bizarre, weird dreams. This last week and a half in the children's hospital and going on short spans of sleep, I've had some weird dreams. and I don't know anything other than I wake up and I realize something weird is going on. And I don't know if I'm awake or I'm, I'm asleep. Sandy had the same issue last night. As I mentioned, Caroline didn't rest very well, and so... There was about an hour span where I'd gone into another room to lay down and she came in and she wanted to know where the work the nurse was and wanted me to get in touch with the nurse. And so I started to look up a phone number. She said, no, just go find her. Find what room she's in. I'm like, honey, we're, we're home. We're not in the hospital anymore. And so we'll just find her anyways. Okay. You know, finally I said, I'll go find the nurse. And she fell asleep and it was all good for a few minutes. You know, there's just those times when you, you come up with things in your sleep they just you're disoriented. They don't make any sense. There's no connection to real life. And what the text today is telling us is not, well, take your weird dreams or dreams that don't make sense and try to figure out something in them. What the text, I believe, is telling us today is that while God did that in the life of Pharaoh, God has given us a greater word today. It's here in front of us. And He's spoken to us through it. And we don't need an interpreter to come explain it to us or find some kind of code in it. It's really clear. And it speaks of a God who's our Creator. It speaks of how we have rebelled and we've sinned against this God. And it speaks of how in our rebellion and in God's goodness and love and plan and mercy for us, from the very beginning He's had a plan of redemption. And that redemption would come through His Son Jesus and it speaks of our need to repent and have faith. And we see that message, I believe, even in this text about the bizarre dreams of Pharaoh. And as we look to it today, I hope that you'll see not a way to try to scramble or unscramble your dreams and figure them out, but better that you'll see clearly how it is God reveals His plan and what His plan for us is. Begin by looking at the first point I've put in your notes as we speak of these things. That without divine revelation, point one, people do not know God's plan. Apart from God revealing His plan to us, we don't know it and we don't understand it. We see that very clearly here in the life of Pharaoh. We've spoken about Pharaoh before. Pharaoh wasn't really the name, it was more the position but that, that person was referred to as Pharaoh. And we would think of him maybe today as a, a high king, a high ruler. And the Pharaoh is the ruler over Egypt. And, and he, he is sovereign over this land and over these people. And he's a very important person. He's the most important person. So when he's troubled by something, a lot of other people are going to be troubled by it. And here he's troubled because of a dream he has. Now, Depending on your context, maybe some of you are farmers this morning got something more out of that dream than I did. But to me, 
It's just weird. You know, you've got these seven skinny cows and they're eating seven big cows and it's, it's kind of a gross image that he gives there as Pharaoh describes this dream he has. And when he wakes up from it, the Scripture says that he wakes up and then there's this sense where he, he wakes up, he's troubled, but then he goes right back to sleep and then he has a more bizarre dream. And this dream, it's not cows, now it's grain, but the theme's kind of the same of kind of the puny, weak, tiny, consuming the, the good, fruitful grain, the, the, the tiny cows consuming these big cows, and now he's left with this, this bizarre dream, and he's trying to figure out, well, what do I do with this? Well, the Pharaoh has all these people who serve under him. And so the Scripture says, he calls together all the magicians and all the wise men in Egypt. Not just in his little domain there. Not, not that live in that little area. But, but he calls them all together because he wants an interpretation for this dream. In preparation for today's studies, I was reading about the, these offices, these magicians and these wise men. Uh, one of the notes I read in a study Bible was this. said, in explaining magicians of Egypt... That these were probably cultic officials who interpreted omens and signs, not to be confused with modern illusionists who performed to entertain. Just in case you were thinking this was, you know, Sigmund and Freud walking in, that's not the picture we have here. You hear magician and we think of something kind of comical. They, they, these were people that practiced in, in dark magics, they were people who felt that they had powers that they could discern dreams, that they could tell someone in a psychic way what was to come in their life. And so you have a pagan kingdom filled with a pagan ruler who trusts in pagan means to interpret this dream that's set before him. It's not so different than what people do in our day today. There are people all the time who want to know the future. That they want to know what's coming next. They want to know what the plan is. They want to know what's going to happen. But so often, they don't turn to the God who created all things and to His Word to understand those things. They turn to the world. And what do they find? Well, they find all kinds of people who say, oh yeah, I've got, I've got powers and I've got means and I've got ways. I, I can tell you all about your future. I can tell you all about yourself. I had an encounter a number of years ago Sandy and I were in Boulder, Colorado, and for ministry reasons, and part of it was we were doing a seminary class, and with that class, we had to write a paper on different worldviews. And so when we went down to Boulder, Colorado, and if you've ever been to Boulder, you can find all kinds of worldviews there. And we're walking down this street where there's all these nice stores, and, and in front of those stores, there's all these people set up in tents and tarot card readers and just all kinds of stuff. And so I just went to little table there, and a lady was sitting there and had tarot cards out and said, hey, I can tell you all about your future. And I was up front with her. I said, well, you know, be, just be up front here in disclosure. I follow Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian. I'm actually interviewing people today for a paper I'm writing for a seminary class, and I'd really just like to know more about what you believe. And as we had this conversation, though, she kept saying, you know, well, I, I can tell you about your future. I can tell you all kinds of things about yourself. And that's how they do it. You know, they'll talk about, you know, well, I can tell you fascinating things. And so you start to listen, and usually they're kind of vague things, but you start thinking in your head of what they're saying, and, and there's this appearance that they know. 
And so I just asked her something simple, something that most people, even people I barely know, know about me. I said, you, you can tell me things about me, right? Yes. You, you can tell me personal details, yes. Okay, tell me my name. <laughs> she didn't have a card for that. <laughs> Came up a little short. So that's, that's not how it works. Yeah, I understand. I know how it works. And it worked the same way in Pharaoh's day. And so when he brings together all these wise men and magicians, I don't think when the text says that they couldn't interpret, that that means that Pharaoh shared the dreams and they kind of stepped back and said, Pharaoh, that's really weird. We don't have anything for you. I think what it means is that they came up with their conjectures, they came up with their ideas, they came up with their vague generalities. Oh, well that probably means this, or that probably means that. But it probably was so similar to all the other things they had told him, there was something in him that said, wait, wait, that's, that's not what this is. There was something in him that said, no, there, there's something being revealed to me. My, my spirit is troubled. That's not what it is. I need to know. And none of them could give a satisfying answer. It's a reminder to me of the world we live in today. And how there are so many people asking so many questions about life, about purpose, about death, about heaven, about hell. People who, who want to know what comes next. People who want to know who, who, why we're here. People who want to know about pain and suffering and where's this come from. People who want to understand why do people do bad things. Where, where do bad stuff come from? Why are some people so wicked and some people so evil? And there are many people in the world who will offer them all kinds of ideas. But apart from divine revelation, from the one true God, they are left without answers. But God doesn't just leave us that way. We see this in the text and we see it in our world. Point two, you see God reveals His plan through His people. And you think about just that, that statement for a minute. God reveals His plan through His people. God could communicate to every person on the planet today in whatever means He wanted to. He could write things in the sky. He could have the same thought come into every mind in a language they understand just like that. That's not what He's chosen to do. What God and His awesomeness and His mercy and His grace and His sovereign plan, what He's chosen to do is to reveal Himself to man but to use His people to do that. He's chosen to put His people in positions where they can explain things to a lost and dying and curious world. We see an example of that here in Joseph. See, the, the cupbearer, as Pharaoh shares about these dreams, as no one's there who can interpret them, the cupbearer remembers... Uh, okay, wait, now I remember how I got here and he tells me about Joseph and Joseph, excuse me, Pharaoh immediately says, okay, well this guy, he's got special powers. This guy, he may be able to do what nobody else can do. So y'all go down there and clean him up and bring him in and I'll tell my dreams to him. And just think about that for a second from Pharaoh's perspective. Here you have someone who we know historically believed himself to be God. <laughs> The pharaohs felt themselves to be divine, to be deity. And here he has called before him from the entire land of Egypt 
every person who claims to have these psychic powers and these magical powers. And none of them can answer him. And now someone tells him of a Hebrew slave in the dungeon. And Pharaoh, who considers himself probably at this point to be the most powerful person on the planet, decides he's going to reach down into the pit, into the dungeon, clean this guy up and bring him in. Think of what that would have been like for Pharaoh. He's here in a court assembly. There are many people watching what's taking place. There's lots of pomp and circumstances. All these people have tried to interpret for him. And then in walks this freshly shaven young Hebrew slave. And people start to whisper, who, who is that? We, we've not seen him in the court before. Who, who's that guy? Oh, okay. Yeah, he's, he's been in the dungeon for about 13 years. <laughs> But Pharaoh does it because something's going on in Pharaoh's heart where, where he knows, or he, try, he, he wants to know, somebody knows how to interpret this. There's got to be somebody out there who can tell me. And that's when the pieces start to come together. Remember where we left Joseph last Lord's Day? He's there in chains. He left his house when he was 17 years old. The Scripture tells us as we continue in chapter 41 and forward that he's 30 years old at this point. Thirteen years have gone by. And every time it looks like something's getting better, it just ends up getting worse. And now, things start to come together. Now it starts to make sense. He's brought before the Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh looks to him and says, okay, you're the guy. Nobody else in my entire kingdom can interpret these dreams for me, but I've heard you've got a gift. And I want you to tell me about these dreams. Think of this from Joseph's perspective. Thirteen years in prison. Every time he's done the faithful, right thing, it's not turned out well. The last person whose dream he interpreted, all he asked them was to say a kind word to the Pharaoh for him, and they forgot about him. And in that moment, I can only imagine that Joseph is tempted to say, yeah, I've got that gift. Yeah, yeah, I can interpret that for you. Knowing that Pharaoh doesn't believe in the God he believes in. But no, he he trusts God. He walks with the Lord even in the midst of this suffering. And he says this to him. It's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. I mean, just consider that statement for a second. Joseph doesn't even say, yes, Yes, I can help you, but it's because God does this through me. God uses me in this process. So if you'll allow me, I will seek God, and God will help me to interpret for you. He just simply says to Pharaoh, Oh, Pharaoh, actually, no, it's nothing to do with me. And God will give you an interpretation. And saying that, Pharaoh could have said, Okay, well, back to the pit then. I'll wait on God. But but there's a connection here, and God's doing something here. And so Pharaoh tells Joseph his dreams. And then we start to see this plan come together. We start to see how Joseph is able to rightly interpret this dream. And we start to see how this dream is going to fit into the landscape of salvation history. And we'll get there, but just consider this for a moment. What if the cupbearer had told the Pharaoh about Joseph two years before? I mean, that was the plan. Joseph was trusting the cupbearer to do that. What if the cupbearer comes out of the prison and comes to the Pharaoh and before any order of business, he says, okay, I just got to tell you something. 
There's this Hebrew slave down there, and he can interpret dreams. Can you imagine the Pharaoh's response in that moment? Thank you, I've got hundreds who can do the same. (laughs) I have an entire nation at my disposal, and I've got people on this side and this side who can do that for me, (laughs) cupbearer. Thank you for telling me about a guy in chains who apparently can do the same thing that all these other people that can do. And if he had told him then, I would speculate that Joseph is then forgotten by everyone. And Joseph stays in that prison cell. And Joseph's name's not brought up two years later. That tells us something. See, God not only has a plan for our suffering, He has a plan for the timing of our suffering. And so often as believers, we think we're doing good to get to that point of suffering when we're willing to acknowledge, okay, God, You're in this, and I trust You. Now let's be done. (laughs) We think we're doing good to get to that point just of acknowledging God, and we want to learn our lesson very quickly so we can move on. Okay, God, I got it. I figured it out. Okay, let's go forward now. But the reality of life is, it doesn't work that way. The reality of life is that suffering comes and so often it comes and it comes and it comes. And it doesn't leave. And what God's Word tells us here is that there's purpose for that. That God has purpose that here in Joseph's life, I mean, think of 13 years before this moment. 13 years of sitting in that prison cell, likely wondering, God, what are you doing? 13 years of recalling those dreams of greatness and looking around the filth and the chains on his wrist and his ankles and his neck and wondering, God, what are you doing? But God had a purpose in the timing. in His life. And God has a purpose in the timing in our life as well. And we don't have any word from God that tells us We're going to stand before Pharaoh one day and we're going to have some aha moment and it's all going to make sense. We want to think that though, don't we? We want to think that one day it all makes sense and we look back and oh yeah, the suffering, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's... Scripture doesn't promise us that yet. But it speaks of a day when you and I will be so overwhelmed with a grace and mercy in the presence of a holy God that is barely describable in the book of Revelation except to say there's this vision of a new city, a new Jerusalem. There's no sun and there's no moon because the glory of God lights it all. There's no more crying. There's no more tears because He's wiped them all away and they're done. There's no more death. There's no more sickness. There's no more cancers. There's no more suffering. And there's a purpose for it now. And if we're not careful, we miss it. And we ignore it. And we try to numb ourselves so we don't even feel it. And friends, when we do that, we miss something. Because God has a purpose, not just for us, but for the world around us. Point three. He has a purpose because God's people have the only message of hope. For a lost and dying world. Consider the magnitude of what's taking place in Genesis 41. Consider 
that God has communicated to a pagan king that there are seven years of plenty coming. And after that, seven years of famine. And that it is such an intense famine that it will literally wipe every Egyptian off the face of the earth. And not just Egypt. We know as we study the book of Genesis, the effects of this famine are far-reaching. And they reach over to this family of a man named Jacob. Who he and his family will be included with the multitudes of others who will die and who will be gone. And the family trees stop there. But God in His mercy and grace, in His timing and the suffering of Joseph's life, puts him in a place where he can interpret for the Pharaoh a dream to help him understand. In these years of plenty, store it up. And if we will do this, God is gracious and we will live and we will survive. You think of what happens there. And how through this then, the people of God, Jacob's family, Israel, the people of God are preserved and are saved. And one might come then through them, one day, Jesus, who goes to the cross for us. You consider the magnitude of this and you start to see there's a bigger picture here. See, it's not just about Joseph going to Pharaoh to save the Egyptians. It's ultimately about Jesus coming for us that He might save His people. And even bigger than that, it's an encouragement then for us, friends, us who have the power of interpretation, who have heard and responded to the Gospel to go out to a lost and dying world who apart from revelation from God, apart from His people coming to them, are lost and without hope. And it's about us going to them and saying, friend, you may be feasting now, but there's a famine coming. That there's a consequence of sin and death. And it will consume you for all eternity. But there's a better way. And there is one who has gone before us and His name is Jesus. And He went to the cross and took what you and I deserve, the consequence, the penalty of sin, and He died in our place. And the Scripture then calls us to repent and have faith in Him. And friend, if you'll do that, and if I'll do that, we'll make it through the famine. And we'll make it to the other side. And there'll be a new day. But if we won't, there is no hope. See, that, that, that's the big picture of Joseph's story. That, that's the big picture of our story today. But the question is, if that's the big picture, if that's the purpose, if that's the plan, then, then why do so few of us just step out and talk to somebody else about our faith? Why, why is it so hard? Why is it so uncommon in our lives for us just to meet someone and say to them, friend, do you, do you know what life is about? <laughs> do you know the answers? Do you know about the God who created us? Do you know what it means to be a Christian? Do you, do you know what it means to have the burden and the weight and the guilt of sin lifted from you? Do you know what it means to walk in faith? Why do so few of us do that? I struggle with this myself. 
As I mentioned already, we spent days recently in the children's hospital and, and we had very little sleep. And so it was very easy to get very focused on myself and what I needed or what Sandy or Caroline needed. And so I, every day I went up and down this elevator to run to a cafeteria or run to a store and I just focused on myself or my family. And one day I'm riding on that elevator going down and in walks this couple with their child, their patient at the hospital. And just as soon as that elevator door shut, they just start talking to me. They initiate with me. How are you doing? How, you know, what are you in for? And how long you been here? How long do you think you'll be here? Tell me about your child. Tell me what's going on. And, and just in this simple elevator ride, I knew so much about them. They knew so much about me. And they were just wanting to help me. They, they'd been there for four months with their child. So they wanted me to know about the resources. They wanted me to know about how we could go to the zoo if we wanted to go to the zoo. They were just telling me all these things. And, and as the elevator doors opened and we walked out, we shook hands and we went on. And I thought, here are two strangers who were so concerned that I know how to get zoo passes for my sick child that they stepped out and initiated with me and had a conversation with me. How many people had I been in that elevator with who were lost and going to hell? And a lot more was at stake than zoo passes who I didn't even lift up my head to acknowledge. How many people are in your life and in my life that we encounter on a daily basis that we've yet to tell the news of Jesus Christ to? Friends, there is a famine coming. There is a reckoning for sin. We are not promised tomorrow. And so I beg you, as I pleaded with the Lord for myself in recent days, that He would so overwhelm us and burden us for the souls of lost people that we would lay aside everything to go to them with the only news they need to hear. The Gospel of Jesus. I was considering this not long ago as I read an article about a man who passed away in January. His name was Hiro Anoda. He was a Japanese intelligence officer during World War II, and his death was in the paper in January because of the events of his life. During World War II, he had been sent to the Philippines as an intelligence officer to sabotage some things, to gather intelligence on some things, and soon after he got there, the American forces, along with the Filipino forces, took the island, and so he and other soldiers escaped into the hillsides. And as I read about him, what I found fascinating was that not soon after that, the war ended, but not for him. You see, the, the, the Allied troops, they started dropping leaflets all around the Philippines and other areas in cases like this where soldiers had retreated to the mountainsides. And these leaflets simply said that the war is over. You can come out now. You don't need to fight anymore. But this soldier... His last orders from his commanding officer were that under no circumstances was he to surrender. And so he stayed in those mountains. And he survived off of stealing uh, animals and different things from people. He encountered forces and ended up killing people for three decades. It wasn't until the 1970s that the legend of this soldier is so prevalent that a young man in Japan decided he was going to go find him. 
And so he set out on a journey, and it said it took days, but as he went through the mountainside of the Philippines, he, he found him. And he encountered this soldier, and they started to have a conversation. And he told him what countless leaflets and notes and communications had told him up to that point. That the war is over. You can surrender now. But he said, no, I, I won't surrender until my commanding officer tells me I can surrender. And so this young man took pictures, took evidence of this soldier's existence. He went back to Japan. And then the military found his commanding officer, who at this point was working in a bookstore, put his uniform on him, sent him back to the Philippines, had a ceremony, and officially relieved him of his duty. And he surrendered. And as I read that, I started thinking about a bigger picture. And I started thinking about, you know that? That, that soldier is such a picture of our world today. So, so many people who are fighting a battle that's already been won. Jesus on the cross paid the penalty of sin, and yet so many around us think, no, if I work hard enough, if I try hard enough, if I give enough, if I sacrifice enough, I can appease a holy God. And the price has already been paid, and the battle's already over, and the war has ended. And it's going to take more than us leaving some leaflets laying around for them for that message to get across. It's going to take some of us being so burdened that we'll spend days wandering through the dangers of the jungle to find them and to share this message with them. And then when they hesitate to respond, that we will go to any lengths possible that they might receive that message. That it's time to surrender. The war's over. You don't need to fight anymore because Jesus Christ has fought the battle for you and I. And He has won. And sin and death have been defeated. Friends, there are people that you will encounter today who don't know that. And out of all the ways that our glorious God could reveal it to them, look around this room. This is who He's entrusted it to. Will we be faithful to take that message to them? I pray that we will. And I pray that as we do, that God will work in His grace to call them to repentance and faith as well. If you would pray to that end with me. Father, we thank You that even in Joseph's story here, we see the message of the Gospel. And Lord, we see the, the burden we should share to take that message out to others. And so Lord, I pray today that in this moment, if you have not already, that, that through the work of your Spirit in every believer's life who is gathered here, that you would prompt them with a name, with a face, with someone that you have placed in their life, them in that person's life, who's lost. Someone who has refuse to come out of the jungle, someone who is fighting the battle on their own. And Lord, that as You burden us with these names, these faces, I pray God that we would be faithful to trust in You, to step out in faith, to, to open our mouths to speak the truth of the Gospel, to share about Your grace and Your love and Your mercy, to pray for them, to care for them, that they too might respond to the gospel of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for the man that you sent to share the gospel with me when I was 17 years old and a freshman at college. 
Lord, I pray that you would send us to others. And I trust that you are working in the lives, even now, of people throughout this community, people in our lives who need to hear this message. And Lord, I pray you would empower us to share it. And I pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, you can stand. And as you do, we want to offer an opportunity of response. If God is calling any of you to come and confess Christ to join this church family, we invite you to come. We celebrated in our first service of uh, Emma Bergen. If you know the Bergen family, uh, she's made a decision to follow Christ and, and heard the gospel explained to her at, at a VBS uh, at Parkway Baptist Church a couple weeks ago and, and came today just to share about this decision in her life. And so we're going through a Bible study with her now in preparation to baptize her. Maybe God's brought you to that point where you're understanding the gospel and you want to respond to the gospel. We just want to share that with other people. We invite you to share that. Whatever it is, we want you to take this time just to pause and reflect and consider. Maybe you need to just pray for those people that you've been in the elevator with, those people that you've been surrounded with, but you've yet to talk to them about Christ and ask that God would empower you that, that, that between this Lord's Day and next Lord's Day, things would look different as you share with them. Whatever it is, we invite you to respond during this time of invitation. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my hands and let them at the impulse of thy love, at the impulse of thy love, take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and Father, we pray that would be our song. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and grace and mercy in our lives. Lord, we pray that you would empower us now to step out and, and share with a lost and dying world that a famine's coming. Share with them the need to repent and have faith in Christ. And Lord, as we do, we trust that it's not in our power, but it's in your power that they'll be drawn to the gospel, that they'll respond to the gospel. Lord, that you might fill these pews with people that we're praying for even now who would come to faith in Jesus, who would walk with Jesus, who would share with others about Jesus. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you, church, for gathering with us this Lord's Day. You can see a, a few reminders there of things coming up uh, in this next week. Uh, I appreciate you praying for our students who went to camp. You can see a few of them wearing their camp t-shirts today. That was our middle school and high school students. They had a great time this last week. You can be praying for our elementary students. I think it's third through sixth grade. who will be heading out to camp in just a few weeks at the same camp that God would use that in their lives as well. Thank you for being with us this Lord's Day.